I'm going to switch gears here a second. When I was in high school, I think I was a junior in high school, when our drama team visited a little town in, on the, the coast of Oregon called Ashland, and it's where the West Coast Shakespeare Festival is. And as I was perusing a bookstore that you would see like in a movie down this dark alleyway, right, the brick walls, there was this little tiny bookstore, which I love. Any, anywhere I go, I always try to find the, the bookstores. But I found my very first Sidur, which is right here. Now, it was $4.50, and I only had $5 left because the money that I had brought with me for this trip that I meant to use for food, I forgot things like my toothbrush. You know, I was in high school, right? And a guy, so I forgot my toothbrush and my toothpaste and that kind of stuff. And so the little bit of money that my parents had given me that was supposed to be for food, I had to spend on the things that I needed. And so I had $5 left that was supposed to be for my dinner money. And so I went into this little bookstore, and I found this Sidur, which I've been wanting for a long time. This is before Amazon, right? Where you, It was a little harder to get things if you didn't have them in your local town. And so I looked at the price of the Sidur, which is barely still legible in the front cover, for $4.50. And I looked at the $5 in my, and it wasn't even, it wasn't even hard. I easily spent that money in order to take home my very first Sidur, which I've used daily for many, many years. I mean, now I started off with this one, and now I have a whole collection of Sidurim, but I still have this one because it holds a special place for me. Right before the high holidays, I gave a sermon on prayer. As we continue through the coming weeks in our sermon series on the Gospel of Matthew, prayer is one of the main focal points of our discussion, and it's a theme that appears over and over again throughout the Gospels. Therefore, I want to continue on this theme of prayer. So the title of my sermon today is inspired by a beautiful poem from the opening of an old machzor called The Old Prayer Book. And if for those who are interested, I'm going to read this poem, but you have it in your bulletin that it's in the blue insert. I included an English translation of this prayer. This book of prayers, old and stained with tears, I take into my hand and unto the God of my fathers, who from ages past has been their rock and refuge, I call in my distress. In ancient words seared with the pain of generations, I pour out my woe. May these words that know the heavenly paths ascend aloft unto God on high to convey to him that which my tongue cannot express, all that lies deep within my heart. May these words, simple and true, speak for me, before God entreating his mercy, perchance the heavenly God who hearkened to my father's prayers, who gave them courage and strength to bear all their sorrow and degradation, yet ever to hope for redemption. Perchance he will also hear my prayer and hearken to my cry and be to me a protecting shield, for there is none to help or sustain me but God in heaven." It's a beautiful prayer, and I just love that line, the old and this prayer book that is old and stained with tears. That this poem was written by Yaakov Cohen in, uh, before the state of Israel was established in what people call pre-state Palestine, right? That it was uh, Yaakov Cohen wrote this prayer in Hebrew, and this is an English translation of that prayer. 
And so the title of my sermon today is The Tear-Stained Prayer Book. In Luke 11, one of the disciples asked Yeshua, Rabbi, teach us to pray. And Yeshua responds with a liturgy that we continue to recite to this very day, often called the Lord's Prayer, or in Hebrew, we call it Tefillat Adon. The prayer is drawn from themes from similar prayers, like the Kaddish, and many scholars believe it is an abbreviation containing all of the themes of the weekday Amidah. Yeshua was praying according to the custom, uh, according to the common structure and liturgy of the Jewish people of his time. And although Yeshua often prayed spontaneous prayers, we also regularly see him participating in the temple and synagogue services and reciting formal brachot. Much of what Yeshua prayed, we are still familiar with today. So what did that include? What could we say, what did Yeshua pray, right? In addition to the prayers that are recorded in, in, uh, in the apostolic writings. During the second temple period, some of the core elements of the liturgy included, of course, the recitation of psalms and other prayers of thanksgiving. The psalms, after they were written from the time of the first temple, formed a core part of our liturgy, as it does to this day. Also, the barchu, the shema, the Amidah, which, we, you know, the, the central kind of prayer that we pray, the Hallel Psalms, the group of psalms that we pray on holidays, as well as possibly the Elenu and the Mourner's Kaddish. And also, we have, by the time of Yeshua, the basic formula of the blessings. Baruch atah Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaWalam. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe. This formula was already established by the time of Yeshua. And so when it says that Yeshua, for example, that he would say these formalized ritual formulas, like when it says, then he lifted up the bread and said a bracha, the bracha that he said was, hamotzi lechem min ha'aretz, right? The blessings we're familiar with today. But let's go back even further than Yeshua. Even earlier in the scriptures to see how these prayers were formed and developed. I don't have time to go into all of them, so we'll give just a few examples. The first was obviously the psalms used in the temple. How many of you were here when Dr. Sophia Magianes uh, taught the Jonah study? Right? It's, it was fascinating in the way that she was talking about not only the psalm that is in uh, when Jonah cries out from the belly of the great fish and its connection to the other psalms, and that is a psalm of ascent. It's one of the psalms that was recited in the temple. And when you have the word selah, right? Everybody sees this in the Psalms. I was always taught that it meant pause, like it's a reflection, right? But that's not what it is. What does selah mean in the Psalms? It means stop and offer an offering. Stop and do a sacrifice. It literally means insert offering here, right? It's like you're singing and then selah. This is where I do something ritualistic. And then I recite the liturgy. And then I stop at selah and do whatever the next whatever it is that I'm supposed to do in the liturgy. We also have a Nehemiah 8. Nehemiah has a lot of fascinating things that introduce us for the very first time to certain practices. In Nehemiah 8 is the origins for the way that we do a Torah service even to this day. Now, if you want, you can turn there, but I'm going to read just sort of an abbreviation of uh, verses 1 through 7. And it says that all the people gathered together in the open space in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra, the Torah teacher, to bring the scroll of the Torah of Moses, which Adonai had commanded Israel. And Ezra the Kohen brought the Torah before the assembly. 
which consisted of men, women, and children old enough to understand. Facing the open space in front of the water gate, he read from it to them, and all the people listened attentively to the scroll of the Torah. Ezra, the Torah teacher, stood on a wood platform, which they had made for this purpose. Beside him on his right stood important leaders within the community. That's an abbreviation. <laughs> Instead of going through all the names that it lists, all the important leaders of the community. And Ezra opened the scroll where all the people could see him because he was higher than all the people when he opened it. And all the people rose to their feet. Ezra blessed Adonai, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen and Amen. As they lifted up their hands, bowed their heads, and fell prostrate before Adonai with their faces to the ground. The Leviim explained the Torah to the people while the people remained in their places. From this passage alone, we discover that they read from a scroll and it was read from on a raised platform. This is the, the bima that we have now in synagogues. They recited a bracha, right? Says that he got up in order to read and he blessed God and all the people responded, amen. And the Torah was then explained to the people. This should all sound familiar, right? And then in the next chapter, Nehemiah 9, we read another passage where it kind of introduces phrases and language in the liturgy that we still use today. Standing where they were, it says, they read in, in the Torah, uh, in the scroll of the Torah of Adonai, their God, for one quarter of the day. For another quarter, they confessed and prostrated themselves before Adonai, their God. On the platform, the Leviim stood, and they cried out loudly to Adonai, their God. Then the Leviim said, Stand up and bless Adonai your God from everlasting to everlasting. Let them say, blessed be your glorious name, exalted above blessing and praise. You are Adonai, you alone, you made heaven, the, heavens and the, uh, the heaven of heavens with all their array, the earth and all the things that are in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them. The army of heaven worships you. And then the prayer goes on. Again, we see the developments of a formal liturgy that they're telling the people, this is what you're supposed to do. Stand up, recite these blessings, right? And again, we see this development not only in the liturgy, but particular phrases that then become part of the liturgy that we recite to this day. Just a final example, since we're limited on time, from Luke 4, which reads, Now when he went to Nazareth, when he had been, where he had been brought up, on Shabbat, Yeshua went to the synagogue as usual. Again, it says he went to the synagogue as usual, because it was Shabbat. And he stood up to read, and he was given the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written. Which, what is he reading? Which part of the Torah service? No, 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 he's given Isaiah. So what did he read? The Haftarah, right? This was the Haftarah then uh, that he would have read. The spirit of Adonai is upon me. Therefore, he has anointed me to announce good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the imprisoned and renewed sight for the blind, to release those who have been crushed to proclaim the year of the favor of Adonai. And he probably continued reading. After closing the scroll and returning it to the Shamash, he sat down and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he started to speak to them. Today, as you heard it read, this passage of the Tanakh was fulfilled. Yeshua and his closest followers prayed the same prayers as the rest of the Jewish people. They didn't get banned or changed with the resurrection. Instead, Peter, James, and John continued worshiping and praying in this way. And the earliest followers of Yeshua, 
developed additional prayers that were added reflecting their particular understanding of the Jewish faith. Of course, since ancient times, other prayers have been added to the Siddur. <coughs> but the Siddur is 80 to 90% straight scripture. It is mostly Psalms and other scriptural passages that are all sewn together. So when we pray the Siddur, we are praying scripture. This is why for countless generations, Jews have prayed, sung, cried, mourned, and delved into the pages of the prayer book. Its pages contain far more than letters and words. It embodies the story of redemption, the history of the Jewish people, the emotions of life, the depths of our theology, the ingathering of the nations, and directs us ahead to the Messianic age. The Siddur is far more than liturgy. It is a portal into the spiritual realm. And the Siddur enables us to pray as Jews, as Israel, and as those grafted into Israel through Yeshua. We now, of course, find ourselves in the postmodern age. We're in the 21st century when biblical literacy is extremely low. Yiddishkeit, meaning Jewish knowledge, is extremely low, and the average American Jew doesn't really have any, Ameri any Hebrew language skill. So, some of us have developed innovations like PowerPoint prayers, putting them up on the screen so everyone can follow along easily. But there are also limitations to this approach. What about when the computer freezes? What about when the person running the PowerPoint gets distracted? No offense in not calling anybody out. <laughs> what if the slide is formatted in a way that is hard to read? It's not a perfect system. Further, PowerPoint is a controlled experience. When we only use PowerPoint, everyone is funneled into the same direction. You cannot take your time, you can't move ahead, or continue to engage the liturgy even when others are engaging differently. It can also be a crutch. If it's not up there, you can't do it because you don't know what's next. And you also don't see the larger picture and the layout and how what is on the screen is actually connected to something bigger. A siddur can free you up to encounter God both together with the whole congregation, but also uniquely as an individual. Because I'm going to tell you a secret <laughs> that all of you know. Not everyone connects with God in the same way. Our service is primarily geared toward an emotional experience. Music, dance, creative engagement with the liturgy, etc. But not everybody connects to God that way. Some people connect to God more intellectually, or they want to pray more traditionally. Using a siddur allows everyone to engage with God and the liturgy together as a corporate unit, but also individually at their own pace and style. And for those who are still new to our congregation or new to the liturgy, a siddur can help them to more easily engage with the English translations of the prayers because you can take your time and just follow along when everybody is singing in Hebrew. Of course, like with everything, there can also be limitations to using a siddur. It's got to be learned, right? You can't just pick up the siddur and like, boom, then you know how Jewish prayer works over the course of thousands of years, right? Instead, it's like riding a bike. You have to start with training wheels, but once you get your training wheels off and you feel comfortable, then you can pop wheelies and do bunny hops and do cool stuff. And it's the same with me. Like, for those of you who know, like I grew up as a believer in Yeshua and grew up in um, more of a charismatic environment. And so I often switch between both. And because I'm familiar and have used a prayer book now for decades, 
for probably 25 or more years, it, my, both my prayer language and the liturgy just flow from me. So there are times I'm weaving in and out as I in my morning prayers, in my davening. There are times I'll use the siddur as kind of the warm-up for then the way that I just talk to God. Or other times I talk to God and then I need some formula to keep me focused. You know, it's, it's, um, there are different ways to use it and engage with it. Just like we did during the high holidays, we're going to try to make it... Um, sorry, I lost my place. I believe that the, the benefits of using a siddur far outweigh its limitations. How many of you remember our high holiday services this year? I don't know about you, but I was personally so inspired this year. Weren't they powerful? And how many of you had an encounter with God in some form or another? I had so many people come up to me and tell me how spiritually moved they were, how, and how powerful and how present the Holy Spirit was. And guess what? We were using prayer books. We used a machsor for all of them, and it was wonderful to look out and see people deeply immersed in prayer, holding their prayer books, swaying and shuckling and pouring out their souls to God with help from pages. Using a siddur does not have to quench the spirit, we often forget that some of the most powerful spiritual encounters in the Bible were in liturgical contexts. For example, when you read about the powerful time when Solomon is up dedicating the temple and the spirit just fell on all the people, that was a liturgical context in the temple in Jerusalem. So with all of this in mind, I've taken everything, uh, I've, so with this in mind, <laughs> I've taken everything that we do on the screen and I've transmitted it to the page. I've developed a prototype siddur that I think is a beautiful reflection of our congregation's history, its values, and its commitment to prayer, study, and worship, especially within a Jewish context. And we're going to start experimenting with it next week. This prototype siddur is a temporary option that will allow us to experiment. We're not at a place right now where we want to raise a bunch of funds because we don't even have a specific siddur in mind, but instead, let's begin to experiment with what we have to be able to engage with it in a different way. The benefits of this kind of temporary siddur is that we can make changes and, continually, and continue to tinker with it to fit our community. Of course, sometime down the road, we can explore more permanent options, but for now, this will help us begin using a siddur and getting used to it. And we're going to try to make this learning experience as easy as possible. So PowerPoint is not going away. For those of you who love the electronic engagement, we're still going to have uh, the PowerPoint to engage with the music and stuff like that. But the stuff that we normally do on a, uh, the liturgy on the screen, that will now be on the page just like during the high holidays. And we'll have the page numbers. We'll do the explanations. We'll help everybody get familiar and comfortable with using a Sidur. Why? Because using a siddur reinforces and informs our faith. When we recite the liturgy, what we're doing is we're telling ourselves, we're reinforcing what we believe. When we th say things like the Shema in our declaration that there is only one God, when we recite things like the Philippians passage in the Eleni, we're reminding and reinforcing the idea that we believe Yeshua is divine. It shapes our thinking. The more that you engage with the siddur and the prayer, the way that it shapes the way that you think about theology and the way that you think about what it means, 
For example, from a Jewish perspective, redemption doesn't begin with Yeshua. Redemption begins in Egypt. When God delivered us corporately and individually as a people, And these are the prayers that we recite over and over and over again. It unites us together as a congregation and also with all of Israel. Then not only, I love the liturgy when we recite it because in the passages that we do publicly together, we're all together reciting the same words. When I first moved to Hungary, my very first Shabbat there, I didn't speak any Hungarian yet. But, you know, you want community, and so I went to a synagogue and what a wonderful experience it was. The only thing I didn't understand was the sermon because it was in Hungarian. But you know what? I knew the siddur, and I knew the prayers. And I could engage and participate. And anywhere that a Jew goes in the world, there's a community because it unites us and binds us together. It's also a rehearsal for the Messianic age when we will worship with the heavenly court around the throne. And guess what? There are liturgical prayers that it says that we do in heaven. Even the formula, kadosh, 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 Adonai Tzvaot, is a formula. It's a liturgical formula. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. Ultimately, prayer is the posture of the decentered self. And our liturgy, are words of humility. The siddur is simply another tool to encounter God. So if you want, you can take a look at it. The sneak peek that there are the siddurim, there's a few of them on the back table. But this is what it's going to look like. It's got large font. It's 12-point font, <laughs> the English. And the trans- it's fully transliterated. Um, it has some explana- ex- explanatory notes. And it will have more as we begin to continue playing with this. But as I said, it's a way to kind of experiment a little as a community. But it also defines who we are. As a synagogue, we're unique in the fact that we don't use a siddur. Right? When almost any other synagogue, whether it's Orthodox, conservative, reform, reconstructionist, you name it, it's not an Orthodox thing, it's just a Jewish thing. And for those of you maybe who are from conservative Christian backgrounds, a prayer book might not be such a crazy idea either because it's what's used in all of the traditional communities, Anglican, Methodist, Presbyterian. Some of you might even be old school Baptist and maybe used a hymnal, right? The idea of engaging God through pages is not a unique idea. There are things, as I said, that can be very helpful about PowerPoint, but it's also very limiting. There are things about a prayer book that can be challenging, but at the same time, I believe that the benefits outweigh the opposite. Avinu, our Father, I pray that as you continue to guide our community, that you would always make us open and sensitive to what you're doing. God, I know that this, we're interested, we're, um, we are introducing an idea that is not so new, but also new. And I pray that there would be an openness within us to wrestle with this and to be open to, to what you're doing as we build towards the future. Thank you, God, for Beth Amunah for all the people who are here, what you're doing in each of our lives, for all the little ones and families that you're bringing to us. I thank you, God, that we are here, that you have sustained us, that you have helped us reach this joyous season. And may this season, the season of lights, the season of miracles, 
be one that for each and every one of us that we experience your light and your redemption at this time and in this season. We lift all of this to you in the name of Yeshua. Amen. So please rise with me for the words of the Elenu.